Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we're presenting part two of a two-part interview with Aaron Gilrain and Jennifer Wolf. Before we dive in, here's a little bit about them. Aaron Gilrain and Jennifer Wolf are teacher leaders who personify getting better together. Both are national board certified teachers leading the charge to develop more board certified teachers on Long Island. Both love to create opportunities to empower teachers as professionals. Both constantly seek opportunities to grow in their craft, and both remain engaged with their students as full-time classroom teachers. September 2017 marks the beginning of Erin's 16th and Jennifer's 21st year of teaching. Erin teaches English, Jen teaches social studies. Together, they teach sections of ninth grade integrated English social studies and lead professional learning opportunities for fellow educators. Their efforts as leaders of professional learning includes work with the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, Teaching Channel, and Teach to Lead. They have worked to revise Oceanside's mentoring program to include all untenured teachers and their mentors on the path towards accomplished practice, honed in on how to embed the accomplished teaching body of knowledge at all levels of a teacher's career at Teach to Lead Boston, and wrote about their programs and experiences in the August 2016 issue of Learning Forward's JSD Journal. In January 2017, they brought Teach to Lead to Long Island by hosting a local Powered By event, continuing their efforts to help teachers lead from the classroom. Erin is the founder of the Long Island National Board Network, a recent graduate of MCLA's Leadership Academy for Educational Administration and a 500-hour certified yoga instructor. Jen has earned the New York State High School Social Studies Teacher of the Year Award from NYSCSS, three Fulbright scholarships including a semester abroad with the Fulbright Teacher Exchange and an honorary doctorate from Union Graduate College in Schenectady, New York. Can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? One of the things that I like to talk about specifically with seniors is the idea of taking a risk and trying and seeing what happens, right? So I've mentioned it a few times already in the podcast, but I have no problem just applying for things and watching what happens, get them, don't get them, whatever, right? I'm just putting myself out there and seeing what sticks. So I've applied for Fulbright summer things. I never got them. I've applied for the Teaching Ambassador Fellow in D.C., didn't get that. And that put me on the path towards doing more leadership work here in Oceans 
side and then on the path towards my administration certificate, which I'm finishing up this summer. And had I gotten those other things, I wouldn't be on the path towards being a building or district leader. But now that's the path that I'm securely on and it's shaping the course of my leadership journey. So I might not be doing policy now. It doesn't mean that that might not happen in the future, but it's all about putting your stuff out there. You know, I'll go on my international journeys at some point. It just didn't happen at this time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk to the kids and just be open about the fact that, you know, I may not get everything I try to do, but I try to do a whole bunch of different things. And then the path changes. I mean, I love that. Is it a meme, if you will, where it's like uh, leadership and it's like almost a straight line and then a crazy squiggle and then a little loop and a this and like eventually you get to <laughs> yes. where you meant right. to go. Right. I mean, life is more right. of a crazy squiggle with lots of loops than the straight trajectory of what you think it's going to be yes. when you're like in high school. That vision of just putting yourself out there is something that I love to talk about. So you're not afraid of rejection. No, You're definitely like, not on, at all. That gets me to a different place. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's pretty amazing. It is. Yeah. It is pretty yeah. amazing because yeah. most of us aren't like that. No, I would say I grew up with a stutter my whole life. It was pretty profound when I was um, in, in elementary school. I really wasn't fluent at all. Although now it only comes when I'm a little nervous. But what I have come to love about that challenge, meeting people and saying my name to new people and having them react to whatever I say and if I you know if I stutter on things and see what their reaction is what I've liked about it is it has made me fearless in a way I mean I don't worry about stuttering anymore or even about little things that might bother me or scare me about raising my two young daughters or things I think I can do it Right. I know that I found ways to cope with the speech impediment. And when I do it in class, I explain to the kids exactly what it is. We meet it head on and I say, this is the way it is. But it doesn't mean I'm not smart or that I can't speak to you or care about you or any of the things that are important to being a good teacher. And this year, for the first time, I had a student who also has a stutter and he wrote me this beautiful letter at the end of the year and felt really empowered by, again, what Erin said before, that a person who stuttered could go out and do these speeches and run these workshops with people who I didn't know in environments that I wasn't familiar with and still come away successful. And it was this lovely, long letter about how great he felt about his future as a senior, knowing that there were examples, you know, of people who could overcome these challenges. And so it was a problem when I was a teenager, and then I kind of learned to embrace it. And I think that's really what all challenges are really kind of about. You can't control what happens to you all the time, and so you've got to learn to adjust. Right. Right. And I think it's a beautiful thing that that's when you had a difficult time, and now you're teaching, you know, the same age students who may be having a difficult yes. time in the yes. same way. And they can also look at imperfections, right? Because oh, we're yes, all... Oh, yes, that's really what it is, right. <laughs> we're not perfect. The fact that you put yourself out there and are vulnerable, they see that yes. you're actually living it. Yes. And so that speaks volumes. And yeah. so... It was really wonderful to have him write that to me in this particular case, but it also reinforces the fact that our leadership style, whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom, is about people first. I'm hoping that, and at least I got a little evidence this year, but I'm hoping that, that that is how people see it when we work with them. Awesome. Okay. So I don't know if you know Paul Martinelli. He is the president of the John Maxwell team. 
and he had a severe stutter. And he's one of the best speakers. Really? Ever. I didn't know that. Paul yeah. Martinelli. Yeah, yeah he's, I'll have he's to look amazing. him up. Yeah. Okay, so can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? I think one of the greatest professional successes that we might agree on was the idea of becoming board certified. Uh, I know for Jen that happened in 2002, and for me I achieved in 2007, and we both renewed at the times that were appropriate for our certificates. But for us, that process shaped who we are as teachers, helped us to articulate what students need and what teachers should know and be able to do. And that process has helped me find my leadership voice, maybe also you, Jen, as well. Yeah. yeah. And we've seen so many other teachers go through this process and come out more articulate about education, more energized about educational reform, more interested about doing new and innovative things in the classroom. There's something about the process where about halfway through, there's a little transformational light bulb that goes on where teachers are like, aha, I know exactly how I can reach every kid. Mm -hmm. And what's cool is it comes from talking with other teachers in a cohort and digging into your own practice. I mean, for me, I like school. I could research anything in the library, but National Board was about researching myself, and that was all reflection and digging deep into me. And there's no book on me. I could watch videos of my teaching practice, you know, insert the awkwardness of watching yourself on video, right? (laughs) I could do that for sure, but it was all about going inside. What could I do inside to reach every kid, meet them where they are, and get them to excel? Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks. I think I might agree with that one. No, I definitely agree with that one. I think it was a tough journey because you think initially that you're doing all that you can do for kids. You think, oh, well, of course I'm doing fine. All the kids degree on the test. Everything's great. And then you start going through the process and you realize, oh, I forgot about my ELL kids. Or, oh, I should really talk to parents more. Or, oh, I think I should try different steps in pedagogy. So it was certainly when I achieved, I felt validated Mm -hmm. that I was able to do everything for kids to improve their learning, which was really pretty great. Yeah, because it's the demonstration of accomplished teaching, you know, to prove that you can do it, which was really important. And feeling validated. And feeling validated, yeah. So if our listeners wanted some more information on the National Board Certification or... National Board Certification. How is it that I don't know this? Uh, (laughs) This is the constant problem with the National Board. I tell those guys all the time, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you have this amazing thing. You're terrible Mm -hmm. at PR, right? (laughs) So what you want to do if you're interested in learning more is just Google National Board Certification it pops right up. Their website right now is boardcertifiedteachers.org. I believe they're shifting the summer to nbpts.org. So really just give them a Google and you'll be able to see everything. It's all wide open. So even if you're not a candidate, you can see the standards for your certificate area. You can see the four components for your area. You can see promo videos and get all the info right off the internet. And then if you're interested in becoming a candidate here in New York State, you can go on nbcny.org, the National Board Council of New York, that website will help you find a local regional coordinator that can set you up with a cohort in your area. So what's the process? How long does the process take typically? The process can take anywhere from one to five years depending on a couple of variables. First off, there's four components. So teachers have three years to complete all four components for the first time. Mm -hmm. If there's a chance that the teacher needs to retake 
some mm -hmm. of those components, they can have two additional years to retake anything that didn't hit the benchmark. Mm -hmm. So then usually within one to three years, we'll get the idea of who achieved right off the bat, who's going to do some retakes, and then go from there. But we find that even if teachers have to do retakes, that they're invested in the process and in the standards, and they keep coming back for more, yes. which really validates the program yes. itself. Right. I mean, I can certainly see the value of the program, which is why I'm kind of parked here, because I see the leadership component that is missing Absolutely. in a lot of our certification yes. programs yes. and the reflection and the teaming and all those things that you've spoken about. What is really important to say, I think, about the National Board is that there is a body of knowledge of accomplished practice that accomplished teachers do, and as Erin will say, they make it look effortless. And that work is grounded in the five core propositions of the National Board and the standards for your certification area and grade level written by teachers for teachers and re-looked at every 10 years so that they keep them fresh and up to date and they make mm -hmm. sense. And it's also based um, in the architecture of accomplished teaching, which is rooted once again, just like our leadership, in who's in the room, what do they need, and how am I going to get them there? Beautiful. And so the National Board process is really kind of early, I think, leadership training for teachers. And this is where they begin to see themselves as leaders. At least this is our opinion. And I'll tell you this. In faculty meetings, most of the time, many of the people who speak are the NBCTs. And it's not complaining about stuff and it's not nagging about small issues. It's let's try to make this program work for kids. If it's not working for kids, why is it not working for kids? Here are my suggestions about making it work for kids. And kind of always holding the group up, not by themselves certainly, because there are many accomplished teachers who are not board certified certainly, mm -hmm. but leading the way to say, we can do better. Right. We can enhance what we're doing to make it better for kids. It sounds like deep transformational oh, work. Oh, it, it is deep transformational awesome. work. You awesome. spend a lot of time thinking about your practice and you and your students. And in the shadow, of course, of the standards and the five core propositions. Mm -hmm. And something that's pretty cool is that the five core propositions dovetail with whatever is yes. the uh, teacher evaluation rubrics that your district <laughs> use. So the thing about National Board is that it works in tandem with whatever would be the goals that you have personally as a professional or that your department or district has. So the five core props involve being committed to your students and their learning, knowing your subjects and how to teach them well to students, managing student learning and assessment, thinking about your practice and belonging in a learning community. Well, look at that. We unintentionally plugged for them. There you go. <laughs> but they're doing such a great job. No, I'm so really, impressed. Honestly, Erin and I have very low tolerance for not great programs. I mean, we... I don't a think lot you of like mediocre too group, much, right? No, a lot of educational people try to sell teachers things, and a lot of these people have never either been teachers or they don't really understand what we do. This is not the case mm -hmm. with the National Board. And what I love about it is you can't fake this. And it's authentic to what you're doing in the classroom. It's not a dog and pony show. That is what I love about it the most. Thank you so much for your feedback there. Sure, <laughs> I know sure. that we derailed a little bit. Okay, so what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I know exactly what you're gonna say right now. Oh, let's see. Find your tribe. Oh, nice. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually thinking because I don't know if the mic picked up Jen's deep sigh. Uh, she knows that whenever I feel discouraged, I tend to then flip to deep breathing as one of my coping mechanisms, and she just did it. Mm -hmm. I think it's all about taking time to take a deep breath 
reassess, align back with your vision. And find your people. And find your people, you right? Find your people. On the days when we have tough days, we go in a back room or go to a ride to the coffee shop and just talk for a minute about what's going on and mm-hmm. then get our cart back in line. Yeah. We often speak to teachers who are having trouble in their districts leading or teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Not through any fault of their own, but they're having issues with administrators or parents or conditions or the kids. And we always tell them the same thing. You cannot do this work alone. I love that. You have to find someone that you can close the door with and lose your mind with and then brainstorm ways to get back to where you need to be to get the work done. You cannot do this work alone. I don't know much about the private sector and CEOs and how they operate, but I hope they don't operate alone because I think you make better decisions when there's more than one brain in the room. I think you learn more about yourself and the work you need to do when you're working with somebody else and you need the stress relief of another person. Mm -hmm. So find your tribe. Yes, find your tribe. And I think also when you're getting frustrated, you have to think about why you're being frustrated. If it's because it's always a no, don't be angry at the no. Make it make you curious. Mm. I mean, we've always operated under the adage, no is never the last word right. of it's any no, conversation. No, just no for now. <laughs> you know, that is never the last word for us. And so we've learned to think about no as, okay, why is this person saying no? What is it about this person's position or viewpoint or vision that makes them say these things? How can we repackage what we're talking about to meet their values and their needs so that we can make the no a yes? And so we talk a lot about that to teachers. I'm like, look, you make the most reluctant learner pass your class. Mm -hmm. That's the toughest no there is. Right? So how do you get that kid to do what he's got to do or she in order to pass your course? It's really the same techniques when dealing with adults in many ways. And, and I love that because you're looking at things from a different perspective and you're so interested in the person who said no or the other perspective yes. that you want to bring that in because it could be your blind spot, Yes, right? mm-hmm. could totally be your blind mm-hmm. spot. Yes, we've had that brought to our attention mm-hmm. several times about certain things yeah. and then it really makes us think, okay, so how can we fix that? And that's the benefit of knowing who your team or your tribe is yes. in a work environment because we know each other's blind spots and then we can point them out when they're being triggered and they don't realize it. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is one of those times where someone's pointing out something that you don't see. And, you know, the thing about being in a long-term work environment like education is we start to become like a family. We know each other's blind Mm -hmm. spots and triggers. And it's one of those opportunities where we can help each other grow and work through Mm -hmm. issues because we know each other so well. I mean, Jen and I have been work wives for about 10 years and teaching here at Oceanside Mm -hmm. for even longer than that. You guys are so easy to talk to. I love being here. Anyway, I don't want to keep you longer. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? This makes me think of one of the things that we've started doing lately is uh, whenever we're at a conference or in a situation with someone that we find to be very interesting, and we'll do this to you later, Lily. Oh. We've we've taken to uh, asking people. I'm intrigued. Yes, yes. A little scared, too. (laughs) We've taken to asking people, what are some books that you've been reading that you find to be really interesting? And then taking a list of notes about books Mm -hmm. that people are Mm -hmm. into uh, that belong to people that we really like, and then reading those books. Mm -hmm. So my summer reading list is 
probably 15 deep and it's all stacked up because starting in the spring, I started asking a bunch of people and buying all of these books. You know, the most interesting people that I know, they're super interesting because they read everything. And then if I can just hop in their brain and read some of mm-hmm. their top 10 books, it helps to totally. influence my worldview and my creativity. And I especially like that most of the people who we admire, they read not just books and education, but all kinds of great things. Yes. So Creativity Inc. was one of the best books I have read, and I it agree. has nothing to do with education and mm-hmm. everything to do with leadership. So true. And creating a culture of vulnerability. There was a really great book about Pixar mm-hmm. and the beginnings of Pixar. I have to point out that Jen thought I was being kind of uh, mushy when I first made her read Brene Brown's book, Rising oh. Strong. She resisted big time. It was and one now of her she typical hug me books, so I said, I cannot yep. read she also, this. Uh, I also, and she also loved The Power of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. I she did. didn't want to read that I either, and nope. she became and a believer. Yeah. I mean, these... <laughs> <laughs> It finds like at first it feels so weird to get into like the, the self-help genre, right? But these books give us the tools that we need to have relationships with yeah. people and sometimes, you know, building relationships with people that feel challenging, that's the work of leadership really, yeah, right? That's is. how we open the doors, that's yeah. how we break down the barriers. Exactly. And we gotta fuel ourselves, right? You gotta refill this well before you can help right. everybody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's back to that whole thing about what's best for you ends up being what's best for everybody else. And uh, I think Brene has a new book coming out in general. Jen can't wait to buy it, by I the think way. we're going to go see her at the 92nd Street Y, yes. aren't we? Yes. Oh, can I come? Yeah, oh, she's coming. <laughs> September 12th. Let me know. <laughs> All right, so this one's a doozy. Okay. If there were something you can change in education in the U.S., what would that be? I would say we have to stop treating teachers as the scapegoat for all the ills of society, of culture, mm-hmm. of what's going on in the classroom. I would say I would love to change the public's perception of us as glorified babysitters and as experts in a profession that demands that we are excellent at art, at science, at your child, at what we teach our students. If I could figure out a way to change people's perspectives about that, I think it would eliminate many of the other issues like charter choice and vouchers or other things that seem to attack what is so essential to a democracy a free public education this isn't a job for the weak at heart or the stupid (laughs) to be honest i mean it's a very complicated thing we do working with kids and we love other people's children and that should be something that is rewarded and supported by a lot of people and there should be programs that are in place to help teachers realize their fullest potential Mm -hmm. to make that stuff happen to help your kid become his or her fullest potential you know and you know things have changed so much you know with the technology kids can just google it and ask for Mm -hmm. all this knowledge so we're not just pouring things into kids we're doing something different oh it's it's way different and it's funny because now that we're doing more pd online Lately, I realized just how that kind of learning, while it certainly helps to transcend time and space issues for education, let's say, or even maybe even resources, it is not education. It's sitting and getting. You need the opportunity to talk to another person, to reflect with other people, to have a teacher say, you can do it. You know, We've had many students who are really reluctant learners, and many of them learn because of the relationship we've created and for really no other reason. Yeah. And that is something that should not be attacked, but rather supported and then help to flourish. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you want to say anything? Here? Sure. I feel like I have so many answers to this question, and I'm like batting in my head what would be the most powerful. I think one thing that I find to be very concerning is that kids are obsessed with grades. Like that's the be all and end all of schooling. And but, that, it, but the reason why they're obsessed with grades? Of course, we've created this, right? right? right. But it breaks my heart because the kids have lost track of what the point of education is all about, right? They've lost track of the point that we're trying to create in them thinkers so that they go out in the world and they're able to have thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Be well-rounded and have read all sorts of different things and have all sorts of skill sets. And uh, the obsession with grades destroys that capacity to think beyond the grade. So that's something that I think about. I don't know that we're looking for solutions, nor do I know that if I have one for sure. But that always gets at me. The other side of it, I'm not looking to keep plugging National Board, but their program is amazing. And Mm -hmm. if there was a way that we could instill the National Board standards into schools of ed, when teachers are going through the program, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, piecemeal, like we have it here, we have it there. But if there was a way that we could get all pre-service teachers involved with looking at those standards in the way that Pat Allen did at Union when Jen was there, in the way that Oceanside does it at Adelphi, it would be really powerful for the teaching profession because it would give us all a shared language, right? There's only, I think, 112 thousand teachers in the whole country that have board certification, which to me is a crying shame, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is so powerful and it very well could be a tool that would allow teachers to be themselves in the classroom with their own kids, but still give us a really comprehensive way to transform the profession. Well said. Thank you so much for that. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? You mean like on the way in my car, like when I'm driving here? Like what kind of, like how do you set <laughs> your kind of music mind? Do yeah, I? Yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to share with us, whatever helps you. So I know what helps me stay balanced would be when I give myself time to have a regular yoga practice or wellness routine. Mm-hmm. And Jen knows when I'm not doing those things because I start to lose my mind, right? And she's like, you're not doing yoga, are you? <laughs> Go you're do acting yoga. just like me. Go do yoga. Right? Uh, but it's like, <laughs> there's only room for one of us in this relationship. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but this is like, it's one of those things that I find there's times where I literally have to schedule yeah. myself. Yeah into the schedule, but as a leader, you have to schedule yourself in or you never get to yourself. I think that's especially true as a leader and a woman too, right? So there's times during the school year where I put myself in the calendar before it gets filled with everybody else's Mm -hmm. stuff and it becomes an appointment that I have to keep, right? Mm -hmm. If everything that we do is sacred, taking care of ourselves is too, right? There's always that metaphor of being on the plane and putting on your own oxygen first. We have to do that. Yes, no excuses. No excuses. Yeah. I would say that I set myself up for the day in the morning by being with my own children. I think when I How became... How many children do you have? I have two. Hmm. One's about to be six and the other one's eight. And I was a teacher for 15 years before I had kids. And when I had children, it changed a lot of my perspective about how I speak to children in my classroom, how I speak to parents. You know, it was a different uh, mindset. And so I find that being with them fuels me being with them, playing with them, hanging out with them, listening to what their concerns are from school. And it sets me up to be a better human being, I think, in the classroom too, because we often get short or we're harried. And I am reminded every day that 
these are living human beings who have these brains that are entrusted to us and we have to be our best selves all the time. And so they kind of ground me in that. So spending time with them is really important. And, you know, it's like Aaron said, that work-life balance is really tough, especially in this profession where the day does not end at 2.35. You know, we think about our students when we're home. We bookmark things on the internet for them all the time. We're, you know, we're doing all kinds of things like that, constantly thinking about our kids. So it's important to feed yourself as Aaron said so whether that's spending time with your kids or going for a walk on the boardwalk I live near the ocean so I'm able to do that that's really important that self-care that you talked about mm-hmm. from the beginning yes it just weaves through everything we've it's talked about yeah. yeah thank you yeah. okay so if you were to go back in time what advice would you give the younger you about leadership I would say be a little more gentle I tend to be impatient and I want things done when I want things done and I get frustrated with adults, not Mm -hmm. my students. My students are learning, right? Mm -hmm. But then I have to remind myself that the adults that I work with, we're all learning and I need to be more gentle with what they do. So I think I would tell myself that. And to breathe more, Mm -hmm. certainly. And here's how we find the the partnership balance, right? And I'm thinking back to the Emerson quote I said before, right? He starts by saying things like, don't be too timid or squeamish in your actions because all of life is an experiment, right? And I would tell past me, don't be too timid, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't always a risk taker, unafraid of public rejection. (laughs) But now, I mean, that's part of being a leader. You put yourself out there first and you give it a whirl so that other people know that they can too. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Now, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't discussed? Remember that when you're taking a risk, it's just breath and words. Somebody said that to me once. Look, just ask or just do it. It's just breath and words. There are no fatal flaws. You can come back from pretty much any kind of hard time or challenge or even rejection. And sometimes you're better for it. Mm -hmm. And I would add to that, to think about those things that they've been putting off or not wanting to do and just do it. You know, September for us as teachers starts a new school year, start it. Between September and December, do one of those things and watch what happens. Love it. Okay, Erin, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you, Lily. Thanks for having us. You've been so amazing (laughs) pouring into me, pouring into our listeners. It's been a blast. I've had so much fun. Thank you. So great. Thank Thank you you. so much. It's good to meet you. Okay. Hello leaders, this fall we're kicking off some amazing mastermind groups. So make sure to go to masterleadership.org and find out how you can register and be a part of this wonderful community. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.